The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to a very refreshing hour of business talk. This is Business Network Innovation with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. You'll hear from the innovators who know how to use game-changing technologies and business strategies to shake up the status quo in your company's future and help your organization move in exciting new directions. Now, here's your host and moderator, Bonnie D. Graham. Indeed I am. Welcome, welcome, welcome. And if you want to run with the Game Changers, I promise you're in the right place. If you're just tuning in, let me tell you, this is the show that used to be called Business Innovation with Game Changers, but we decided to pump up the title a little bit in Season 2, so now it's Business Network Innovation with Game Changers. And a shout-out to Jeannie Trin at SAP Ariba for sponsoring Season 1 and Season 2. Let's get started with our topic today, The Buzz. That M word again? Hmm, okay, let me, let me uh, decipher this for you. If you've caught yourself saying millennials are plug in the blanks, this, they're that, it doesn't matter what you say next. You're probably wrong. Let's talk about why. We'll look at this supposedly, purportedly, allegedly arrogant, aggravating, but some swear that they are still definitely amazing generation. And what are they using to change the world? Theirs and yours, money, sex, and power, and technology. So when you're in business, you want to attract them. They've got money. They've got wallets full of spendable cash or plastic, as the case may be. What motivates the millennial customer? Short answer, we've been told, not much. Well, that's an enigma. Join us for the next hour to learn how to manage, how to market to, and how to convince millennials to buy from you. Very, very important. We've got an interesting panel. They're all experts in their own right, and they have a lot to contribute to our conversation. First up, I'm very pleased to welcome, his full name is T, period. That's the initial Scott Gross. And he is a writer who speaks, known as a motivational speaker and an author. We'll find out a little more about him later. And Scott has sent me an opening quote from the movie A League of Their Own all the way back to 1992. And the quote was spoken by Jimmy Dugan, who was played by none other than Tom Hanks. Hanks won the American Comedy Award for Funniest Supporting Actor in a Motion Picture the following year in 1993. And he played a grumpy has-been coach in the movie about uh, two sisters, competitive sisters who were sparring with the world on their way to fame as baseball players. So here is the quote. It's supposed to be hard. If it were easy, everyone would do it. Scott Gross, welcome. How are you today? I'm terrific. How are you? I'm Well, I'm terrific if you're terrific. Very interesting quote from uh, Tom Hanks, a.k.a. Jimmy Dugan. Tell me, how does this relate to our topic about millennials? How big a challenge is this? Well, I have a couple of millennials at home and uh, are in my family, <laughs> and uh, I use that quote on them, and it's driven them absolutely nuts. So talk to me more. Uh, so what what what, well, what is this doing right. to our our consumer to the consumer base that so many 
businesses, companies are trying to attract, whether it's B2B or consumer to, consu- to business? Well, one of the problems that business has is that you had a whole generation that uh, was raised by the boomers, and the boomers didn't do a particularly good job of raising them. And one of the things that I, I, I've done with my own son, I, I won't forget when uh, he called the house one evening oh, about 15 years ago or so, and he said, uh, Dad, I want to open a stereo and alarm, a car stereo and alarm shop in your town. I'm going to quit my job, and maybe you can help me find a site. I said, sure, come up uh, next, next week and I'm off. He said, oh, I can't wait that long. I have, uh, I, I gave my notice today, and I have to hmm. open it in two weeks, otherwise I'll have no income. And I'm figuring there's something this kid needs to know about business. And so he did find his site, and he drove in with both feet and uh, opened within two weeks, no doubt about it. And he was wildly successful. But every wow. time he would call uh, during the, this process, he would say, Dad, you won't believe I have to have insurance for to have this kind of permit. Dad, this, dad, that. And every time he would, would say that, I would say, well, son, that's good news because it's supposed to be hard. If it was easy, everyone would do it. And he, he hated me for saying that. He'd say, Dad, I hate it when you say that. <laughs> well, the, I think the funny the story is, end of the story is, uh, after he'd been in business about six months, the local newspaper did a, a half-page article on him. And it was all above the fold, and he's standing in the center of this article in, this, in a photo, hands on his hips, standing in front of his, what he called his sound wall, and the quote under the, under the, or the caption under the picture was, uh, Kirk County's youngest entrepreneur says if it was easy, everybody would, do, would be doing it. And I'm thinking, yes, dad strikes again. <laughs> and so we've got a, the, the next generation, we just had this conversation yesterday, as a matter of fact, and, uh, and I don't think he liked it when I told him, well, big guy, it's supposed to be hard. If it was easy, everybody, everybody would be doing it. And I thought his dad, our son, was just going to uh, fall off his chair with that one. <laughs> so we have a lot of we have a lot of millennials that that I think are having difficulties making good life choices. And probably the reason is because the boomers didn't do a very good job of uh, giving them guidance. Wow! So the boomers are to blame, Scott. Do you and I sit accused here? Are we are we in that boat? My kids are already grown and in their forties. And how old are your kids? Well, um, the one I told the story about is uh, forty, mm-hmm. and uh, interestingly enough, he retired at thirty-eight. <laughs> okay, well, but, but he did. <laughs> Very, very interesting. Thank you. So going back to my opening, uh, millennials are an enigma to companies that are trying to sell to them. And that's why we're all here trying to figure out how to advise that M word again to our listeners. What are you going to do about, you know, what was that uh, line from the song in the movie? Uh, uh, song, uh, Sound of Music. Uh, how do you solve a problem 
name, How Do You Solve a Problem Named Maria, I think was the song. How Do You Solve a Problem Named Maria. That was the nun singing, so maybe it's How Do You Solve a Problem Called Millennials. But I digress. Thank you, Scott, for kicking this off. And let me introduce our second panelist. He is Avi Solomon, Director of Sales at Unbeatable Sales. That's one word, dot com. Avi has sent me a quote from a gentleman named Philip Green, but not just any gentleman. His full name is Sir Philip Nigel Ross Green. In case you're not familiar with him, he is a British businessman and the chairman of the Arcadia Group. That's the retail giant that includes Topshop, Topman, Wallace Evans, Burton, Miss Selfridge. Oh, Miss Selfridge. I watch Selfridge on PBS. Dorothy Perkins' outfit and previously BHS. So he is a giant in the retail industry for sure. And here's the quote that Avi chose. People are always going to go shopping. A lot of our effort is, how do we make the retail experience a great one? Avi Solomon, welcome. How are you today? Hey, Bonnie. How are you? Very well. Talk to me. Interesting quote from Philip Green. Yeah, so the, just the, before we discuss the millennial aspect, let's just look at the background of um, commerce, which I think if you really want to go to the very beginning, starts with barter and trade. You know, I have two goats. I need 10 pans, and so I'll give you one of my goats for the 10 pans. And it was very simple and very easy, and there really wasn't a lot of need to, you know, create a great retail experience for the shopper. It was just based on my needs and your needs, and we made that match that way. Um, but as you go into the modern era, I mean, even, and when I talk about the modern area, I really am talking about the millennial era, um, because even if you go to America, you know, this is not a, a completely true statement, but it's mostly true, is that the marketing to consumers until, you know, recently was really that the companies told the consumer what products they wanted, what they needed. Um, and with social media and review sites, you know, Amazon, I think they were the first to create um, a, that people could, or consumers could offer reviews on products. That really changed the game, and it shifted the balance of power. Uh, and that's something millennials use tremendously, where now um, you also take into effect that there's so much competition, uh, so much competition. It's no longer just, you know, where five stores are basically controlling the market. It goes beyond that, that a lot of companies now, you know, they no longer just specialize in one thing. They specialize in 20. So you might have a company that is uh, makes cars. Like, for example, Google. Google's in cars. Google's in shopping. It's no longer where they specialize in one thing where they're just doing search engines. They're, they're entering multiple markets. So you created this massive amount of competition uh, and with complexities. And one of the most complex factors to retail shopping today is the online industry, um, which has changed everything. Today, you know, you look at numbers how many people do mobile shopping where they actually just walk into a store and they purchase, they make their purchase just by using an app to scan the barcode and then they order it online. So that changed the game of everything. And really for retailers and online retailers and companies that do both, in order for them to really you know continue to compete, they have to live this saying of Philip Green, which is how can they make the retail experience a great one? And so when you're talking with millennials especially, what millennials want is they want to see, you know, every consumer wants to see pricing. Pricing probably goes across the board, and convenience probably goes across the board, but there's also these aspects of they want 
you know, pricing now, and they, can, they, they don't just have to rely on the consumer. They can literally just scan the barcode and check it for themselves on their app and place the order within, two, within seconds afterwards. They can just walk out of the store, say thank you very much for your showroom, and they place the order on a website. Um, so the, that complexity makes appealing to the customer and their needs very, very um, difficult, but also at the same time a lot of fun. Um, and when I say fun, you know, there's sites that integrate social media shopping with the shopping experience, uh, and they do it because they think it's a competitive edge, but it's also a lot of fun. You know, you have sites um, that really they created apps where you can actually um, have people vote down uh, something you were thinking of buying or something that you did buy, and you'll know if you bought the latest trend. So in, in a nutshell, what I'm trying to say is that, you know, there's a lot of complexity that goes into now, especially with the millennial generation, of how to make that retail experience a great one. It's always going to come down to pricing, um, but the marketing aspect's very different. The, the, the fact that you have shipping where people can now do return shipping for free, all these things uh, make competing very, very interesting, complex, and I, I think definitely uh, companies that are trying to use formulas from 40 years ago, uh, those companies are discovering that they're running into a lot of difficulties. Avi, thank you so much for tying that all together in a package with a very, very nice red bow. I almost thought it was Christmas or Hanukkah. And seriously, you, you wrapped it all up and the introduction of the word fun, very, very important because in my opening, Avi, I mentioned what motivates millennial customers and the answer I was given before the show was not much, but I think fun, uh, pricing, uh, competitiveness, challenges, wanting to integrate the on-site, brick-and-mortar, face-to-face experience with how they can do better or faster or easier or just more fun using the online app for that particular vendor. Very, very interesting. Avi, thank you. Uh, I appreciate that. Very nicely done. And now it's time to introduce our third panelist. He is Jonah Manning, CEO and founder of People Ops. That's one word, consulting. And Jonah is quoting his dad. I don't know much about his dad, but I like the quote. And here it is. The secret to success is to find out what others don't like to do and be really good at it. Jonah Manning, welcome. How are you today? I'm doing well. Thank you for uh, the the invite to to join the program today. We're very pleased to have you. Talk to me. Do you want to share a little bit about your dad? How come he's so wise? Well, you know, I think it's one of those things where, you know, uh, my dad always told me he, he, he wanted me to work hard so he didn't have to. So I didn't have to, you know, <laughs> to to make some of the choices that he had to make in terms of where he worked and and the and the types of things that he did, and you know that that was really the the driving force for me. And I feel like, you know, the, the millennials is is my peer group, and I feel like intrinsically, you know, that that the sort of the spirit of that of that quote really kind of you know bleeds over well into really the, the types of innovation that. Uh, we're bringing because I mean, you sure you look at the the you know the super technical um, things that we're doing and you know virtual reality and all these all these things. But if you look right behind that, there's a lot of innovation happening in areas that were mostly static areas like delivery and courier services, laundry, uh, taxi services, hotels. I mean, things like that where it's you know largely looked over. But 
you know, for the most part, my peer group look looks at these static environments and say, why does it have to be this way? How mm-hmm. can we how can we do it better? How can we innovate it? How can we bring a different um, you know level of authenticity to to this particular vertical? And I think so. I think you know, and largely these are areas that you know for for a long time really wasn't a driver to you know anyone in, the, in a forward thinking economy. Um, it was really more towards what's the you know what new thing can we create? I think I think this I think I think a lot of what my peer group thinks about is what new thing can we create that you know that makes impact today and that could that could uh, uh, really really make things better even if it's on a, even if it's something as simple as you know how you drink your water. Mm-hmm. Interesting, Jonah. I, I'm wondering: is there an element of pardon the word boredom? Uh, millennials, or they just want to shake things up because they can, because there there's a forcefulness of the 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 actual cohort. There are so many of you, and you have money to spend, and you have ideas, and you were born cutting your teeth on digital. This is not at my generation and Scott's generation. We had to learn it. It was something we didn't know when we grew up. I'm not sure. I think obvious. Avi, are you a millennial, by the way, or where are you on the? I think I, I think I make the millennial. I was born in 1983, so um, I was 18 in 2000. So I think I just made the millennial. Okay, so it's it's Scott and Bonnie on one side, and and Avi and Jonah on the other. Boy, Scott, we got our work cut out for us. But Jonah, seriously, is is there a sense of boredom, or is it just this DNA called? I have to challenge everything. The status quo isn't going to make me happy, and why does it have to be that way? What do you think, Jonah? You know, I don't think it's boredom. I think the I think the the reoccurring slogan is nothing safe. Everything can be mm. innovative. Everything. So the more static and the more safe you think it is, uh, it's coming. I guarantee you. Nothing is safe. That's a tweetable moment. I'm going to have to put that out there. Thank you very much, Jonah. And regards to your dad, I'm going to circle back to Scott Gross. And Scott, I have a very important question for you today. What are you drinking right now? As in what's in your cup? Or tell us about a special drink that just makes you happy. Where are you calling from, Scott? And what are you drinking? I'm calling from a hotel room in beautiful downtown Houston, Texas. And if I were drinking, I'd be a little bit further to the south and closer to the beach, and I would be having Pinot Grigio. Mm. We had a millennial weekend not too long ago. We wanted to go out and and see what it is that makes millennials tick. And our approach is to literally go to the beach or go to the mountains or go hiking or whatever and talk to as many what we call perfect strangers as possible. And just a couple of weeks ago, we were walking the beach and came across a, a group of millennials that were they had their music playing. They were they were grilling fajitas and and drinking long necks. And here I came with my wife, and we each have a, a wine glass of Pinot Grigio. Now you might think that that we wouldn't fit, and uh, and that'd be reasonable. But you know the thing about about millennials is they have no isms, no uh, is. They're not ageist, racist, racist, sexist, none of that. If you just approach them sort of with, a, I guess, a good spirit, you're going to be welcome. And so we came across this group of, of young folks, and um, I traded them my Pinot Grigio for their um, Bud Light. And they gave us uh, fajitas and helped us when we were finally ready to leave. They helped us get across the soft sand, gave, our, gave us a push and everything. Uh, well, what's really cool is that you've got a whole generation of, of young people out there that are totally non-judgmental and willing to give you a 
uh, a fair read. I like that. I like that very much. So you traded your Pinot Grigio for a bud. Very interesting. I think that'll make a good Super Bowl commercial for next time. I really do, Scott. you got to get in touch with them. Avi, Solomon, where are you calling from and what are you drinking today? I'm calling you from uh, Lakewood, New Jersey. It's a small town in uh, a small state. Uh, not so small, actually. It's pretty. It's small but condensed. Uh, and you know, it, it really depends on you know who I could get to pay me for advertising. So since I <laughs> couldn't find anyone, I just went with water. Um, but uh, actually, water is one of the things I try and drink nowadays um, because you know I'm trying to lose a little weight. So um, water, it's it's fresh. It's natural it's healthy um and if you wanted to try and tie this into the millennials a little bit i i would say i grew up in an era which you know once again if i am going to argue that i'm a millennial i grew up in an era where you know dieting became this whole commercial market and i think a lot of people nowadays drink water um in trying to you know drink and stay healthy I like that. Are you planning anything interesting besides losing weight, like maybe running a marathon or hydrating just because it's a really good thing, or is, is the weight your goal, Avi, for the water? You know, I know something. I, I, I always thought about maybe going on the, the TV show Biggest Losers, but um, I, I think that uh, I, I'm too afraid of being yelled at by the trainers when after five minutes on the treadmill they say keep going and I, I just collapse. <laughs> so um, so I think I'm just going to stay with drinking water and, uh, you know, just hoping that I lose the weight that way. But I'm not going like- to lose the weight. Okay, Avi, I have some statistics for you. New Jersey is the fourth smallest state, but the 11th most populous and the most densely populated of the 50 United States. What do you think of that? Did yeah, you know well, that? You know, New Jersey, it's a very crowded state. If you ever drive in the streets of Lakewood, you'll you'll feel that crowdedness uh, firsthand. Okay, thank you very much. I'm going to stay away from Lakewood. I'll let you navigate those roads. Jonah Manning, where are you calling from today, and what's in your cup? I'm calling from Tallahassee, Florida, and I am currently absolutely addicted to bulletproof coffee. Have you ever heard of it? I have. I have. We've had people on the show once or twice a year, and I think it has something to do with coconut oil. Yes? Yes. Coconut oil, and yep. and you what you do is you do a French press coffee, and then you pour it into like a, you know, some sort of blender. I use like a magic bullet kind of thing. And then, and then instead of using half and half or sugar or anything, you just do like about a teaspoon of really good quality grass-fed butter. Mm. And you put the butter in it, and you blend it, and I just throw a little cinnamon on top, and voila! It's it's uh, it's not only is it super healthy for you compared to you know piling in the cream and sugar and all that stuff, uh, but it's just it's it's uh, it's it's a good uh, uh, deterrent in terms of keeping you not hungry, things like that. It's 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 amazing. Sounds interesting. And by the way, do you know who created the recipe for bulletproof coffee, Jonah? Uh, yeah, bulletproof executive. Well, there was a guy named Dave Dave Asprey, A-S-P-R-E-Y, who yep. posted it to his blog back in 2009. And Bulletproof Coffee is a branded coffee drink consisting of upgraded, quotes, black coffee blended with grass-fed butter and brain octane oil. I think we've determined that. Well, I have coffee and I have I don't have a French press, but I have a lot of coconut oil here. So I'm going to have to try that. I wonder if, uh, if it would work in my Nespresso machine. Probably not. Okay, I'll have to mix it outside the 
machine. We don't want to guck up the works. We have a very interesting <laughs> panel today. We have Scott Gross, we have Avi Solomon, and Jonah Manning. We're talking about millennials. If you are one, if you know one, if you've never heard of them and you've been hiding under a rock, it's time to come out and listen up. As Jonah Manning said, nothing is safe with millennials. We've determined that they want things. They want them now. They want them their way. And when it comes to you in business, whether you're selling to them B2B or B2C, however you are doing commerce, it really is important for you to know who are they, what do they want, how do you manage them as customers, how do you motivate them to buy and part with that money because they're spending it somewhere, may as well be with you. So our topic today, if you haven't guessed, is, oh my goodness, sex, money, technology, and millennials, a new generation rocks your world. I'm Bonnie D. Graham, and I am drinking water, cool, clear water with a blue straw today because we're hoping for blue skies here in New York between the snowflakes and the raindrops. We're going to take a quick break, so don't even think of touching that mouse, that app, that dial. You know the drill. Justin, out. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Business has never been more complex than in today's networked economy. To thrive, companies must adapt and innovate. They must harness the wealth of information now available to enable smarter decision-making. They must enable effective collaboration among employees and with customers and suppliers. They must optimally deploy enterprise resources. And they must make this simple. Join our experts as they discuss how your business leaders can drive innovation that positions your company for continued success. Business Network Innovation with Game Changers is presented by SAP. Visit www.sap.com. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You're listening to Business Network Innovation with Game Changers, presented by SAP. Email your comments and questions to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet during and after the live show at Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Now, let's get back to Business Network Innovation with Game Changers. And we're back, and we are Innovating Business Networks, and we're talking today about Millennials, a very provocative title to our show, Sex, Money, Technology, and Millennials. My special guests are Scott Gross and Avi Solomon and Jonah Manning. Scott Gross has agreed to help me start the roundtable, but I just have to give a little background on Scott. His first book, called Positively Outrageous Service, has been translated into over a dozen languages, and it's followed by 13 of what he calls fun-to-read books that have proven it's possible to have fun, make the world a better place, and earn a living by loving on your customers. I love that. Scott, I'm looking at your notes, and here's something very provocative. Uh, let me read it, and then we'll expand it. You if you think your age determines your generational cohort, it's time to think again. Woo. Scott Gross, talk to me. You know, you kind of surprised me. You jolted me a little bit uh, in the first segment when you said uh, that you and I were in the same generation. Maybe, maybe not. It depends on how you define a generation. And I think a generational cohort is defined by the values and experiences that that cohort has in common. 
and is anchored by the music and uh, ceremony of their or form, of their formative years. I'll say that again. It's it's <laughs> their values and experiences that are anchored by the music and ceremony of your formative years. So you might be a, a, a millennial, ah. you might be a boomer, but not necessarily. So what was the music that anchored your formative years? Let's talk. Scott, oh, what did well, you grow you up with? Oh, you were already talking about Maria and her, her song, but uh, <laughs> I guess mine would have been Michelle. Michelle, my bell. These are oh, of course. Well. Listen, kiddo, my, my, my classmates in junior high school, we didn't have middle school in those days, it was junior high, one of them snuck into the uh, Warwick Hotel when the Beatles made one of their first visits to New York for their Ed Sullivan appearance. Now you know who I am. And uh, she came back to school and said she was one of the people who hid in the laundry basket that was wheeled into the Beatles suite. I, I know Scott and Avi probably have no clue what we're talking about, but Beatle maniacs were the young girls who would scream and rip off everything just to get close to the Beatles because they were such gods, such idols. So, Scott, are we in the same generation? Michelle, my bell, da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da. Well, yes, we probably are. And, of course, you have to have the Eagles in there somewhere. Yes. All right, people in the same fried. generation, but not necessarily, and not necessarily about all the same things. Okay. So how does this relate to our topic about having to uh, work with the millennials, figure them out in order to make them very loyal and very delighted customers for businesses today? What's your thought on that? When I was a kid, and by the way, when I was a kid, drives millennials up a wall because they don't want to hear about when you were a kid. But when I was a kid, we would drive past uh, my dad's place of employment, and we would literally all turn towards the building and salute and hum the uh, tune to uh, Hail to the Chief. My, my dad, and by, uh, I don't know, by consensus, I suppose, we were all very loyal to the company. That's not the way it is with millennials. Millennials might be loyal, but you're going to have to really earn it. You can't get it just by being hired. I, had, I wrote an article for Forbes a couple of years ago, and one of my readers wrote me back and said, why should I be loyal to a company that wants to, to exchange my talents and my effort, my creativity um, for a profit? And I'm thinking, well, hello, that's what it's all about. Okay. Avi Solomon, I want to get you to chime in here. Thoughts on what Scott introduced? You know, I love that concept of the, uh, or at least the discussion point of loyalty to uh, uh, to the retail chain, which I agree a thousand percent that, especially with millennials, you don't see it as much. Um, I could tell you there are certain stores that, you know, in my own personal experience, I could tell you as well that the loyalty is created because you have a, a relationship with the salesperson, for example. You know, when I go shopping for a suit, I usually go to a store called Emporio, and I'm friends with the person who manages it, and I, I trust that man's opinion with my life when it comes to how I should dress, what suit I should wear. So, you know, that loyalty is probably much harder to break because there's a trust between the actual uh, salesperson or someone who is part of the store. When you just have the store itself, and the store is really selling itself as, you know, pricing and, you know, fast shipping or, you know, discounted pricing, whatever points they're using to sell, um, 
basically the loyalty is much harder, especially when someone says, oh, yeah, well, I'll give it to you for $5 cheaper. Well, now, okay, fine, he's giving it to me for a cheaper mm-hmm. price. So, you know, that loyalty is basically broken just by whoever's going to give the cheapest price. And you see that all the time in today's generation. That's why there are, as I mentioned before, customers now, they walk into a, a store, they scan the barcode, they find, see who's selling it for cheapest, and that's where they purchase it. It's usually online as well. Um, so I think this is a great topic to discuss. How how can businesses, especially with the millennials, who are so engaged with technology, uh, using mobile shopping, how can you create loyalty or develop loyalty where I, I trust you to the point where I don't go shopping with anyone else? I automatically, I know I need this, I go to your website or I drive to your store and I buy it from you and I don't buy it from anyone else because that trust is there. And I'll tell you the truth is that a lot of companies are really trying to do that. And I think they, they, they gauge in on price alone. Um, and maybe that's the issue that, you know, pricing is a huge factor when it comes to business, um, almost all businesses, especially in retail. But I, I don't think it's the only factor. I think there are other things that need to be considered. Um, customer service. If you offer great customer service, that's going to create loyalty. Um, and so, and there's other factors as well. But you know, I don't want to take up too much time here. But I would say those are two things: guaranteed low pricing and and, and customer service. And if you're a, a, a brick and mortar store. Having a salesperson who's really a friendly personality and mm-hmm. whose opinion, you know, that you really trust, that's how you create that customer loyalty. Thank you, Abby. Bonnie, Johnny I Manning. To cut in, but if, oh, go ahead, Scott. I add one little, yeah. little uh, tidbit? Sure. The, the millennial mantra, I say, is my way, right away, why pay? That's how they mm. evaluate the relationship. Mm. Jonah Manning, I want to get your thoughts on this. You're next up. What do you think? Yeah, I, I absolutely fundamentally disagree completely i think Good. talk to pricing, me <laughs> i think pricing has nothing to do with it i think it's all about value value and authenticity of the product example zappos zappos pricing price point in almost every category in shoes was actually higher than amazon why did they win because of customer service because of their approach because of their authenticity etc it was value. They were bringing value. Uh, you know, Tom's Shoes, uh, Whole Foods. Whole Foods' price point per square foot is exceedingly higher than Walmart's price point per square foot. But why does Whole Foods have a higher profit margin per square foot? Or Trader Joe's have a higher profit margin per square foot? Because, you know, obviously Walmart's larger because they're a larger store. But if you bake it down to per square foot... It's value. It, they understand the value that they're bringing to their customer. So its price point really doesn't mean as much uh, to, to millennials as, as, I think, as I think a lot of the, the larger stores would like to think it does. Um, I think they're okay. going to be you know, largely mistaken in the future. Bonnie, can I just uh, quickly Yes, Avi, jump in, oh. sure. I think uh, I, I think me and Jonah agree that it's multiple factors that decide customer loyalty. Um, as he mentioned, customer service. Customer service is probably the hugest factor. It probably is even greater than pricing. But I think to 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 say that pricing is not a factor at all in creating customer loyalty, I think that that that's um, missing out on a lot of um, things that we see in our own age. 
You see the fact, as I mentioned before, that people use mobile shopping where they scan a barcode in the store and they, they look at pricing. Now, granted, it's true that only 23% of customers necessarily make that purchase then on the phone, so, but that's a different discussion. But the point being is, is the reason that app was created is because people realize that pricing is a huge factor when it comes to the retail market. And another point is if you look at Amazon and Jet.com, um, Jet especially, Jets right now sell stuff very cheap. And the reason they're doing that, the reason Amazon does that, is and sometimes they sell it at a loss for themselves. The reason they do that is they want to create that trust that you can come to us and you know we'll have the best pricing for you. So I agree with Jonah that there's multiple factors, and value is a huge factor. Customer service is a huge factor. The the value, the the quality of the product is a huge factor. But I just think that pricing is also a factor. I think the only argument we have is, is it a huge factor or is it less of a factor? I would say it's one of the top five huge factors, and maybe Jonah just disagrees with that point. Jonah, you're up. I think the metrics that we see increase from the scanned shopping, the online uh, user acquisition via low, low pricing, um, I think all of those demographic metrics around those price increments are not millennials. Hmm. Scott Gross, got to get you back in this. Talk to me. Yeah, when you deliver commodity service, then price is a controlling factor. And research shows that millennials will indeed pay for great service and great quality, but you've got to demonstrate it for them. You can't expect them to divine it. And incidentally, I should probably add that all the things that seem to turn on customers also are what turns on employees. So if you want to lead a team of of millennials, if if you want to assemble a team of millennials, then you've got to introduce the ideas of fun uh, and flexibility uh, on the job. Okay. Scott, anything you want to come back with? I'm sorry, that was Scott. Jonah, anything you want to come back with on that? I'm, no, I think we're good. Okay, all right. Uh, thank you. This is uh, very exciting. I, I love a lively conversation, and disagreement is what we are seeking, so we can get a lot of voices and a lot of opinions. You're here because you all are independent thinkers, and you all have interesting and diverse experience, so I'm, I'm really appreciating this. The point was to give our listeners an idea of what do millennials value? How do you motivate them? How do you get them into your store or onto your website? And we are finding that there's an array of opinions because there are, are an array of values. So, obviously, Solomon, I'm looking at your notes. Let's talk a little bit about, uh, I don't I don't know if we need to name them, but a lot of very successful retailers for decades and decades, name brands. We rely on them. We're counting on going to the mall or, or a big shopping center outdoors and seeing their banner there, seeing their store there. And yet a lot of them are having a lot of trouble right now because of the trend we've been discussing, and you brought this up, Avi, of millennials are either walking into brick and mortar and scanning barcodes and trying to find something better priced online, or they're not going into brick and mortar at all. Uh, we've had other shows, Avi, and panel where our, our panelists have talked about the buyer today is it's between, I think, 50 and 80% of the way through the buying cycle before they even talk to a human being in a store or on a phone about what they want to buy. They're doing their own research. Avi, talk to me. Is this just millennials or is this really, are millennials going to be the ones to bring down the long standing 
venerable retailers from their perch and maybe put them out of business. Is it millennials' fault or they're doing? Well, what do you think? Uh, what I would have to suggest is I think that millennials triggered the trend. And what I mean by that is, and I, once again, you know, I work in online retail. Um, my company is actually one of the biggest uh, online retailers out there. Um, and so, but going back to the main point, which is that in the end of the day, I think millennials trusted technology much more than some other age groups. And what I mean by that is even the going the shopping online or using a smartphone for the first time to do a purchase, I think a millennial would, would have been more willing to try that than someone from an a different age group, not to say no one from the different age group would also do that. Boomers would for sure also do it. But I think millennials created the trend and they created the trust in online retail and in on mobile shopping and in that technology. And so then it spread across different um, the diagrams of uh, age groups. But I think the millennials were the ones who really created that trust. Now, I, obviously, I can, I can see that you don't want me to, you know, mention any particular store by name as to how many stores they're closing. But, you know, we could take, so I'll speak in general terms. You have mm-hmm. some, do you, do you mind if I use uh, names or do you prefer me to? Uh, no, you, you, to, could use, you can use names as long as it's nothing uh, negative about, about what they're oh, doing. No, so go this ahead. Is, this is, these are things you can find just through a, a simple Google search or just, you know, reading your New York Times on a regular. You look at Macy's, for example. Macy's um, is closing 35 stores. Uh, they have 730 left, so they're not going bankrupt or anything like mm-hmm. that. But they're closing a lot of their brick and 35 stores is a lot of stores. Um, J.C. Penney uh, closing seven stores. That doesn't seem like that much, but you know that's closing seven, and they're not adding any more. And also, J.C. Penney is also doing other things to shift their their focus. You know, maybe into the online world as well. You look at sport sports authority. Sports authority is closing 200 of its 450 stores. Best Buy closing 50 of its 1,450 stores. And so you have to ask, why are they closing stores? And what I think is there's two reasons. One is is because they, they actually do understand the power of online retail, and they, they're utilizing it correctly. And what they're doing is that they're saying, I no longer need this store here because these sales are being really diverted to my online retail uh, website. You know, Walmart, for example, is a great example where they, they got it. They understood what online retail was. And so if Walmart closes a store, I think they only closed four in 2015. But if they close a store, it's not because of, you know, they're strapped for cash or the, 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 that store is struggling. It's more just they, they really don't need it so much because they, those customers are, are shopping online. Um, but it goes back to the same thing with technology. And, with, and when I say technology, I do include the Internet and online shopping, and it's just, it's, you have Amazon with Amazon Prime, for example. You can now get your product. It's not, you know, usually it would be that you have to wait five or seven days. So you would say, I could order this product, and I would get it in five or seven days. Well, I'd rather just, you know, go drive to the, my local brick-and-mortar store and buy it there. Um, but nowadays with Amazon Prime and so many other online retails, including, you know, Unbeatable Sales also offers this, where we have expedient shipping and you get it in a day or two. Um, and you'll see also that a lot of stores are, uh, are starting to try and mimic that type of membership, um, like Best Buy, for example. They have the reward uh, zone silver, and they just announced that they're offering expedient shipping, 
a free call from Greek, Greek Geek Squad to see how that, um, you know, mm-hmm. you just bought a new computer to make sure mm-hmm. it's running, a 60-day return window, and price matching policies as well. So basically you, you definitely see that a lot of the brick-and-mortar stores are, are, are shifting their gears towards the technology and towards um, focusing on the fact that the customer may buy online. I think the millennials triggered that, and it, it trickled down to other generations as well. Thank I you. I totally disagree, Avi. Okay. Go the, ahead, The millennials Scott. didn't do this. The thing about technology is, is quite simple. Um, if, you, if it was invented after you were born, it's changed. It was invented before you were born. It's just technology, and what you'll find with the older people, and I'm sort of in, I'm sort of defending my own group here, is that they came a little bit late to the party. But if you look and see how people are using technology, there's not all that much difference between the old people and the and the uh, 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 young people. You should hear my 84 year old mother have a conversation on uh, uh, wireless routers with her 84 year old friends. Uh, it's it's just a matter of, of of time, and and technology is making us more liked and more different. And I would also say that that uh, Walmart is not so much a retailer as a distribution system. Mm. I want to get Jonah Manning. Yeah. Avi, I want to get Jonah in this because we're we're getting close to the time where we're at the crystal ball predictions on the show, and I want to make sure that we get Jonah's voice in this conversation. I love the energy, by the way. Jonah, talk to us. So there's there's two I think there's two threads here that are that are you know running parallel. One, I definitely agree that you know I think the older generation had sort of a safety uh, uh, net to kind of jump over to be able to be comfortable in purchasing online. I re- I remember years ago, uh, not not too long ago, but uh, my dad had a um, you know w- wouldn't let my uh, wouldn't let my mom purchase anything online. He was fearful of buying online. I asked him, I said, Dad, do you, do you ever buy gas? He's like, yeah. I was like, do you ever pay at the pump? He's like, yeah. I was like, mm-hmm. where do you think that goes? <laughs> <laughs> good good um, one, Jonah. <laughs> so so, so it, it's, it's really just a situation of just understanding that it's, like it or not, it's already everywhere. Um, but the, but at the other point uh, that Avi was bringing up in terms of the distribution or the, the, the retail, I think it's interesting because a lot of uh, millennial-driven ran startups who are in the e-commerce space are going the other way. They're going like example Warby Parker. Warby Parker is the is the company that's that um, is is really innovating pretty well in the in the eyeglass space. You know, they started off with a very, very successful e-commerce business, and they're rapidly opening, uh, you know, uh, retail shops throughout the country. So they're going in the opposite direction. So it shows that that omni-channel presence, if done right, if done adding value, is still maybe even more valuable than it's ever been before. It's, I think it all comes down to intent, context, and authenticity. That's it. If it's a big box store that is coming across very widget-oriented, of course they're not going to have as much traction as a store, as a, as a company that has built context. They've invested in their community. They have followers. They have people who intrinsically are interested in the brand. Of course it's going to be different, and of course it's going to succeed. 
It sounds Thank- obvious to me. Maybe it does because yep. I'm a millennial, but it should be obvious to everyone. Thank you, Jonah. And you brought up Warby Parker, and I know that David Galoa, who is the CEO and the founder, started in business at 12, and he's all of 34 years old and very, very successful. So before we run out of time, Jonah, I want to get a couple of very interesting points in here from the notes you took the time to send us before the show. And let's talk about millennials in leadership roles. You say millennials are running billion-dollar unicorn companies. You have to explain unicorn companies to me, reaching VP levels at enterprise-level companies and represent almost 50% of the digital nomad economy, which is remote and contract workers, so transitional workers. Wow. So we're not just talking about how they buy. We're talking about how they're changing commerce from the other side of the desk, aren't we, Jonah? Talk to me, please. Absolutely. Absolutely. So unicorn companies, you you hear that thrown around. Those are these early stage uh, uh, private companies that have reached billion-dollar valuation levels. Um, that's what they're calling a, a, a basically a unicorn. And most of those, if you look at their 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 C level, um, are by and large millennials. And uh, the, these folks are running massive, massive companies with thousands of employees, offices all over the world, and they are you know, and they're and they are held to the same standard. I would even say even more of a standard. Than any other CEO in enterprise space because they're you know they're they're trying to hit some very difficult metrics and prove some diff- uh, very difficult difficult milestones just like a publicly traded company would would be needed to do and in other environments like an enterprise uh, where, where you know the 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 company is you know the you know the, the an older uh, much larger global enterprise millennials in my peer group are representing you know. Uh, executive level and leadership roles in every facet from product to corporate storytelling to of course technology but also things that like sales and supply chain and warehousing and basically every aspect that you can you, you can think of inside of a corporate environment um, so it's you know we're, we we are now coming of age to the point where um, you know like it or not we're in, we're in leadership roles. Wow. And, and that's changing everything, as I said, from the other side of the desk. I just want to circle around quickly to uh, Scott Gross. Scott, just I'm going to give you l- less than a minute, just a couple of sentences to comment on what Jonah just introduced. And then Avi will go to you. And then I'm going to go back to Scott. And it's time to buckle down and get our predictions going. So go ahead, Scott, quickly. Thoughts on what Jonah just introduced, please? Well, I think Jonah's right on target. Uh, no question about it. But what we're going to see with, with millennials is that they don't buy all the old stuff. We're, they have to be, uh, I guess, coaxed, sold, whatever the case may be. But once they get it, they do get it. Uh, over 50% of executives today are millennials. So it's not like we're waiting on somebody to show up. They're already at the party. Ah, very interesting. Avi Solomon, quickly, thoughts? Yeah, so real quick, I agree with that. I think that millennials are very aggressive, very energetic, and uh, they are um, taking leadership roles because they have those qualities. Thank you. Well, that was brief and to the point. Avi, you really, really reined yourself in there. I appreciate that because we're almost out of time. Scott, I want to circle back to you. It's time to look into that wonderful crystal ball. I love the year 2020, but it's no longer way off in the distance. It's, uh, what, three and a half years away, coming at us quickly. You can look at 2020 or any time before or after for your predictions. Scott Gross, I'd love to know, what do you think would be different about this conversation if we met again at a time you're going to tell us? So Scott Gross, predictions, 60 seconds, go. 
Well, we'll have to wait to see how Bernie Sanders does. Because my <laughs> Italian uh, philosopher and statis- statistician, Corrado uh, Gini, G-I-N-I, uh, predicted, uh, found a way to predict that when uh, income distribution gets way out of whack, we have problems in our society. And that's what we have, looking, have to look forward to in the next uh, 10 to 15 years. Interesting. Thank you very much. Avi Solomon, I give you a little bit of extra time because Scott was so concise. So, Avi, I'll give you uh, 90 seconds for your predictions, which, Avi, I know that's short for you, but go ahead. (laughs) Well, I I definitely agree that um, with um, Scott that it's really a factor, a huge factor is going to be who the next president of the United States is, and I agree a thousand percent if Bernie Sanders mostly unlikely in my opinion, but if Bernie Sanders is the next president of the United States, um, you're definitely going to see a lot of big businesses um, flee this country in, in mass uh, migration. But going back to the direct topic, I think in, in um, five years, basically, Scott and Jonah are going to say, wow, that Avi Solomon, he really knew what he was talking about when he said <laughs> that uh, online retail is... Uh, reshaping the market. I, I, the way I see it is that brick and mortars will always exist, but online retail is only going to become stronger and stronger. Um, and so in the next five years, you're going to see that they're going to even have a stronger presence and they're going to have more dominance um, when it comes to comparison to retail chains that are brick and mortar. Thank you very much. And let's see, Jonah Manning. Uh, Jonah, in your predictions, I want you to mention something we didn't get to about consumer spend. Millennials prefer organic, local, artisan, fair trade, and they'd rather get a locally roasted cup of coffee than even go to a big coffee store. So why don't you include that in your predictions, and I can give you I give you uh, 90 seconds or a little bit more, Jonah. Go ahead, please. I think in the next five years, give or take, I think it's going to feel a lot like the 1920s all over again. But the difference is, instead of making the hat or making the scarf or giving the service to people in your town, you're giving people, you're giving it to people in your global direct network anywhere in the world. So maybe you're 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 doing a custom uh, a bike part for a guy in Barcelona. And you're talking to him over Microsoft Hololens, and you're and you're and you're doing it in real time. You're showing him what it looks like, and at the same time, a local coffee roaster in Chicago is is brewing a special batch of uh, of, of 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 coffee that's going to be shipped to uh, London for a restaurant opening. And I think all of those things, as departed as they seem, will actually be closer and closer together in terms of relational and networked and authentic. And at the same time, while all of this, these things are happening, we're also going to have to deal with, as a society, as, as a people, what do we do with, you know, autonomous driving? What do we do? How do we answer things like virtual reality, which is going to have an impact as equal to the Internet itself? And how do we deal with automation when it's going to compress, especially in the lower-wage work, working environment, going to compress even more? How do we, articul- how do we address that? How do we create new areas of economy for growth? And how do we help, you know, uh, those that are, will be impacted with it? So I think we're going to have lots of high-level top-end growth and lots of very serious uh, 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 intrinsic things that we have to, uh, that we're going to have to address. 
Thank you very much. A lot there. We might just have to do a part two. I'll ch- chat with Jeannie Trin at SAP Ariba to see if she wants you all to come back and extend this topic. I've certainly learned a lot. Uh, I'm not sure, Scott Gross, whether I'm a uh, millennial in disguise or a boomer in disguise as a millennial or vice versa. I'm really not sure anymore, but I'm certainly looking forward to seeing what the election has to do with all of us, with our economy and commerce coming down the pike. Scott Gross, such a pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you, Avi Solomon, as well. Very, very interesting. And Jonah Manning, please give your regards, my regards, to your dad. Sounds like a man with a great deal of wisdom. Uh, what generation is your dad, by the way, Jonah? I think he would be a. I think he's a boomer. I don't know. When was he born? I don't. Uh, late fifties. Just late remember, 19- it only matters how he thinks. Right, it matters how yeah. he thinks. But te- technically, on the on the uh, the uh, census, it, he was born in the late fifties. Um, yeah. yeah, he's probably on the on the the trailing edge. I'm I'm not quite on the leading edge of boomers. But tell him I said hello. We've been talking about sex, money, technology. I'm not sure we got to the sex part, but that's okay. And millennials, a new generation rocks your world, and I think it's safe to say a new generation is rocking their own world. As Jonah Manning said, nothing is safe with millennials. Shout out to Jeannie Trin at SAP. Thank you to Justin, our business channel engineer. We really appreciate that. And let's see, tomorrow I'll be back 11 a.m. Eastern with another live edition of Coffee Break with Game Changers. And on Thursday, let's see, it could be Future of Business with Game Changers. It could be Innovating Innovation with Game Changers. It could be Meet the Visionary Game Changers. It could be the Internet of Things with Game Changers. Tune in Thursday, 10 a.m. Eastern on the business channel. And let me surprise you. No, we're talking Innovating Innovation with Game Changers. I know that. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. And here is my call to action. Fasten your seatbelt. What are you waiting for? I don't care what generation you are. Go out and be a game changer today. Have a good one. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to Business Network Innovation with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. To keep the conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Please join host Bonnie D. Graham again Tuesdays at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, 12 p.m. Eastern Time on the Business Channel. We wish you a positively game-changing week.